Hello friends and welcome to the podcast. We're in season one. We are going to look at a bunch of stories of people's prayer lives who have ushered in a move of God. A move of God in a nation and a city, but also a move of God in places like a school, a university and a workplace. As we contend for revival in our generation, these people have inspired my own prayer life and encouraged me to contend in prayer for revival in our cities and nations. It's my prayer that in the moment when perhaps we feel unmotivated to pray or we wonder if God is even listening, that the stories of these powerful yet very ordinary people will inspire us to continue to pray, to contend for encounters with Jesus and to walk in His power in our everyday lives. I'm your host, Erin Planner, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, hey, hey, friends, and today you are going to hear about, I think they are the OG of Revival Intercessors. They are the GOAT of Revival Intercessors. Um, If you have ever wondered if your ordinary life could be used to accomplish some extraordinary things for the Lord, then get ready to be inspired today by the life of Peggy and Christine Smith. It's been said of these two women that they were little known by man, but very well known by God. And these two ladies were sisters, Peggy and Christine. They were both in their early 80s and lived in a small cottage in Barvis on the Isle of Lewis off the coast of Scotland. And despite their very fervent love for the Lord, they often didn't leave their home, even for church services. Peggy, who was the elder of the two, uh, is about... 84 at the time of this story that I'm telling Uh, and she was blind and then Christine her sister who was two years younger than her was severely crippled by arthritis and if you google pictures of them they just look like your average grandma that would be living in uh, rural Scotland there was nothing particularly remarkable about them except for their relationship with God which was very remarkable Um, And while some may have assumed their season for serving the Lord or even how God could possibly use them would be limited, uh, God had a very big assignment uh, for these two who he, I think, would definitely call friends. They were both very sensitive to his heart and very quick to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. This, what I'm talking to you about the story and this, this prayer that was starting uh, in this area of Barvis was all happening in about 1949. The church wasn't really thriving in Barvis at that time in Scotland. Uh, they had 10 years prior had had sp- uh, revival, what they called like revival spot fires happening uh, across uh, that region. But they'd lulled into what was being, what was described as a spiritual winter. Some of them had accounts where there was a lot of legalism happening in church and basically the young people didn't want anything to do with it and there was not many young people at all attending church. So it was a very big spiritual winter, they called it happening. In November of 1949, God chose Peggy and Christine to give a burden to regarding the spiritual indifference amongst Christians in that region and really ask them to pray for their little village church in Barvis. It wasn't necessarily a burden for all of Scotland or that region, but what happened through there definitely rippled out. They were troubled by the growing trend of young people turning more towards worldliness and towards righteousness. 
and it had become really clear that an outpouring of God's spirit in revival was the only hope to a supernatural reversing of the situation that they were seeing. Peggy and Christine believe that God gave them a promise out of Isaiah 44.3, which says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And that became the cornerstone of their prayer and intercession. This led them to pray in their small cottage two to three nights per week from 10 p.m. until 3 a.m. After after they'd been praying several weeks uh, at this time, that Peggy had a vision. Peggy had a lot of visions. Peggy, Peggy had this vision of her church being crowded with young people. And there she saw a man who was unknown to her at the time who was preaching from the pulpit. So when Peggy got this vision, she called her pastor of her local Barvis church, whose name was James Murray McKay. And she told him that the Lord had, had uh, given her this vision and that she sensed that the Lord was about to send revival. She encouraged him to get church leaders together and to be praying on Tuesday and Friday night. And she was really assured and promised him that they would really see uh, revival pour out. She promised also that her and Christine would be praying at the same time. And full credit to Reverend James Murray McKay, he ate a little bit of humble pie uh, and he did that very thing. He also sent out word to a group of pastors of that region and they'd been discussing the spiritual decline of the island and he encouraged them to come together and pray as well. They also did something like put, um, the Reverend also put advertising in local papers to be encouraging people to pray. And so what happened was Peggy and Christine uh, through their intercession that had started, there started to be prayer altars that were being uh, erected in family homes all over that region. So if you can imagine, there was like this major intercession that Peggy and Christine were doing. Then their reverend had sort of collected a group of pastors in that region to be praying on those nights as well. And then there was what they called prayer altars in family homes. Uh, so there was families who would literally gather together at nighttime and be praying as well all over that region. People all over the island started to, oh, sorry, it is worth mentioning actually. I think when I thought of that at the time, I thought of their homes like our homes. So I'm like, okay, they're up in the middle of the night and, you know, they're praying and weather's good and they've got air conditioning and that was really not the case. They were actually praying through winter, uh, through a winter season as well. It's, they were praying in homes where there was like, it was freezing cold. They were praying in conditions that were not comfortable or convenient, uh, but they were very much committed to what they were doing. So they basically comprised this resolution to be read out at all churches on one particular Sunday and it was an appeal to all of the believers in that region to start to ask the Lord to bring the spirit of repentance and to turn people back to the Lord. So this is all happening all over this region of Scotland and they were really calling out to the Lord to bring revival, repentance and a turning back to the Lord. What happened, they said, was a divinely orchestrated movement and petition to God for revival. 18 months passed with all of this happening and there was no evidence of God hearing or answering their pleas until one evening there was a young man who was a deacon in one of the churches praying uh, with other church leaders in a barn, a very rural setting. He stood up and he prayed Psalm 24, 3-5, which I'm going to read, which says, 
who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. As he read that out, uh, the fellow church believers that were around him really started to be a little uh, disturbed. It's It's recorded that one of them says, brethren, it seems to me such is such it's such a humbug i love that it's such a humbug to be waiting and praying as we are if we ourselves are not rightly related to god so this young man lifts up his hands to heaven and cries out are my hands clean is my heart pure and then all the men started humbly to pray themselves this this sort of prayer of Do I have clean hands? Do I have a pure heart? If not, Lord, come clean my hands and clean my heart. It says at about 3 a.m., the presence of God gripped every person present in that barn meeting Uh, in a rural setting. So imagine like a country barn filled with like hay and stock for the animals. So literally the presence of God descends in there and it says that this wasn't only sensed just in this one barn, but what happened as God entered that barn, he entered all the village and the surrounding areas. Amazing. I lo- would love a prayer meeting to have this kind of effect that as God descends on prayer meetings that are happening in churches and happening in even community centers, that the presence of the Lord not only fills that one place, but fills like a whole area around the church or around that community center. Says the following day, everyone was absorbed in the reality of eternal things. That group of intercessors left the barn at the early in the early hours of the morning and found men and women kneeling along the roadsides, crying out for mercy to God. Every home they said that night had its lights turned on, as no one could sleep with the awareness of God being so overwhelming. Wow, can you imagine like a sky view of? all these homes with lights on in that region because God is moving. Wow, what 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 a sight that would be. It was a spark that the villagers had been praying for for those 18 months. This was a foretaste for the Hebrides revival. So as soon as this started to happen, Peggy Smith then sent out for Reverend McKay again and told him that he was supposed to invite someone to come and preach during the revival, but she didn't know who he was. She only saw an unfamiliar face in the vision. So basically it says through another contact, Reverend McKay reached out to Duncan Campbell. So there's a bit of back and forth here. Finally, Duncan Campbell um, is contacted by Reverend McKay and asked to come. Uh, Duncan Campbell at that time was in the middle of another different evangelistic campaign in the Isle of Skye. He was doing totally something else. And he said, I'm really sorry, but I can't come. I'm in the middle of something here. So basically Duncan Campbell says, sorry, can't make it. Reverend McKay comes back to Peggy and says to Peggy, we've reached out. Um, Unfortunately, he said he's not able to make it because he has other commitments. And then Peggy Smith, Smith replies this to Duncan, uh, to uh, Reverend McKay. She says, Mr. McKay, that is what man is saying, but God has said something else and he will be here within a fortnight. Wow. To be able to hear the voice of God and, and, 
and so clearly that's amazing. So anyway, she knew that even though Duncan Campbell had said no, that he would be here within a fortnight. So she says this to the Reverend and then basically due to a change of events that happens, um, they're continuing to pray and Duncan Campbell arrives on the Isle of Lewis within 10 days. Hallelujah. When Duncan Campbell arrives at the pier, he was greeted by two ministers and, and two church leaders. And they take him straight to uh, a church meeting that's happening. It was 9 p.m. at night. I love that. They're like, no rest for you. Come straight to our to our prayer meeting. 300 people were gathered praying at that church in that prayer meeting when Duncan Campbell arrives. And after preaching a sermon, nothing significant happened is what they said. So Duncan Campbell comes, all this expectation, preaches a word and nothing comes. There was a real awareness though of the presence of God. So people can feel that God is there and not, and there's an expectation of the Lord moving. More, It was so much more powerful um, than what they had initially experienced uh, and what Duncan Campbell had initially been involved in. But it said nothing else more extraordinary than just this really overwhelming sense of the presence of God happened. The service closed at about quarter to 11 and everyone departed from the church. Duncan Campbell and a young deacon began uh, were the only ones left in that and, just, and started to have a conversation. And this young deacon says to Duncan Campbell that night, he said, nothing is broken out tonight, but God is hovering over us. He is hovering over us and he will break through any moment when I read that, it really made me think of Genesis where the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth, sorry, hovering over the waters, and just that sense of God is about to do something. And there are definitely moments, so I think like larger and smaller ones, where we have this real sense of, oh God, I don't know what it is you're about to do, but I know that you're about to do something in such a an ex. Uh, expectation in our hearts that really draws us to partner with God in prayer, even if we're not sure exactly what it is that he's going to do. So that young man then lifted up his hands and started to pray. So it's just Duncan Campbell and this and this deacon left in the building and said, God, you made a promise to pour holy water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground and you are not doing it. He then intensely began interceding in prayer for a considerable period of time and then collapsed on the floor. At around 11 p.m., the back door of the church opened and a man entered saying, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Mr. Campbell, we are praying that God would pour out water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And listen, he has done it. He has done it. Will you come to the door and see what crowd is here? So Duncan Campbell um, walked out. They opened the door and basically at the back of the church, sovereignly, the Lord had drawn hundreds of people to the church. It was about mid it was about midnight and the church began to be completely packed out with people. There is also documented that on that same night there was a dance uh, that was happening in a hall that was semi-close to where the church was, where there was hundreds of young people. And remember that that was what Peggy and Christine Smith were praying. They were praying that they would that this generation would not be lost, that young people would turn back to the Lord. Anyway, so that same night that all of this is happening, this this the young people of that area, hundreds of them are dancing this hall. It says, during the dance, suddenly God fell upon them. Right at the time that the young man was praying in the church, the music at the dance hall just stopped 
and the young people being overwhelmed by the conviction of sin fled the hall as they were, like they were fleeing from a plague and they made their way to the church. In addition to these hundred people, there were hundreds more who had already been in bed but simultaneously without any explanation got out of bed, dressed themselves and went running to the church. A hunger and a thirst for God overwhelmed the people of that area. In the church, uh, sorry, it says, in the church, the gathered crowd began to sing psalms and the church would seat over 800 people and it was totally packed out. People in the aisles and the pews, people kneeling, people crying out to God to have mercy on them. And so this meeting that initially started with Duncan Campbell preaching and nothing happened uh, continued now until 4 a.m. in the morning. There were no altar calls or any appeal to accept Christ. It was just a sovereign work of God. Several of those saved that night became ministers in their own churches. And at 4 a.m., as Duncan Campbell left the church, it's a good, it's a good prayer meeting finishing at 4 a.m., as he left the church to go to the parsonage where he was about to sleep for the night and cover, have some food, um, someone approached him and asked him to go to the police station as there was at least 300 people that had started to gather there. So during the one-mile walk from the church to the police station, he saw people all along the road who were kneeling and crying out to God in the streets in repentance and pleading for mercy. When Duncan Campbell finally arrived at this police station, he didn't preach a sermon, but the crowd that had mysteriously gathered there themselves were crying out to God for mercy due to the overwhelming conviction of their sin that that they were experiencing. Many of those assembled had come in buses from locations up to 12 miles away and when asked why they had come, they didn't even have an answer. They just said that they had a hunger in their heart to go to the village of Barvis where the church was located. And honestly, the rest from here on is history. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 to 16 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And I just feel the Holy Spirit as I'm recording this of that this is his promise. And I think so often we, we think, yeah, that'd be nice, God, but we don't actually have a core belief that this is a promise that the Lord is giving our generation. He promises that if we call out to him, if we humble ourselves, if we pray that he will come and pour out his spirit. And that is the conviction that Peggy and Christine had. And there's three things that I really feel like we can be inspired by and receive from their lives. And the first thing is that they had a burden for the spiritual state of their village. They had a sense of responsibility in prayer, not for someone else to pray, but for them to pray. And I think honestly, sometimes we numb ourselves Um, to the state of the situation of our cities, of our families and of our nation. And I'm going to pray in a moment that the Lord would actually come and unnumb our hearts. The second thing that I really take from their lives is that they prayed through, they stuck to God's promise in Isaiah 44. 18 months they kept praying. They did not doubt God for one moment. They not, did not doubt what God heard, or what they heard, or what God said for one moment. And I know in our church, in Numa Church, that the Lord has given us many prophetic words. And I just want to encourage us today to not doubt them, to not doubt what the Lord has said over our house, to not doubt what, even perhaps what the Lord has said over your life. 
with regards to you being used um, by him in a mighty way to outpour his spirit in your area of influence and in the area that he has given a burden to you for. And that Peggy, the third thing is that Peggy and Christine knew that despite their circumstance and situation, they were in their 80s. They were, one was blind, one was um, had arthritis all over their body. They could barely move. They were in pain. It would be so easy for them to see their circumstance and situation and think, oh, you know, this is for the young people or this is for people who are more holy or whatever the case is. But they knew that despite their circumstance and situation that they had an authority and my gosh, were they ready to use it and exercise it. And so I don't know if you're a mum with three kids. I don't know if you're a busy businessman. I don't know what your situation is, but I know that God is waking us up to say, hey, it doesn't matter what your life looks like or how you feel like you have disqualified yourself from being used by God in your prayer life to bring revival to your area, to your city, to your nation, to your church, um, to your family, to your business, whatever it is. I think we can really be inspired by their life um, that God wants to use each and every single one of us. So Lord, I just pray God that you would totally burden us with a holy discontentment for the situation of our families, of our workplaces, of our universities, of our schools, of our cities and of our nations, that you would give us a holy discontentment for this moral degradation that is just continuing for the lack of truth and the lack of life, light and the lack of life, God, that you would burden us with a holy discontent about the state of this generation. Lord, it is so lost Father, where we have numbed our hearts to the state of our city, to the state of our world, I pray, God, that you would unnumb our hearts. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would break for what breaks yours. Lord, I pray, God, it would break for the small things that we see, that we pass by every single day, that, God, the state of our young people, Lord, who do not know who they are, Lord, the state, God, of, of the homeless person that we pass at Coles every single day as we do shopping, Lord, you would use every every moment of every day, God, to awaken our hearts to what breaks your heart and that you would unnumb our hearts, Lord. Father, I pray that, that it would be used as fuel to seek you as the only solution. I pray, God, that we may be known as Peggy and Christine are uh, as people who seek your face and who know their God. I pray that we would know, Lord, that you are no man that you may lie, that we would know, Numbers 23, 19, that we would take the prophetic words that you have given us over each area, over our lives, over our churches, over our cities, over our families, and that we would wage good warfare with them, Lord. I pray, God, that you would give us a holy persistence to persist in prayer, just as you teach us in Luke 11, to keep on praying, to keep on persisting. I thank you, Lord, that your heart adores a persistent prayer, that, God, we would not stray, that we would not waver until we truly see Isaiah 44.3 happen over our nations and over our cities, that we would see your Holy Spirit pour out like water on this thirsty land, like streams on the dry grounds of our nations and of our cities. Father, I pray, God, that you would do something in us, that you would truly use us in this generation to see an outpouring and to see a revival like we have never seen before. Father, we pray, 
would you use us? I pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.